Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, how's everyone doing today? It's nice to have you here, man. I just, again, every week I just sit back at the back and I listen to everyone singing and I'm thinking to myself how significant, how uh, special it is to me just to have you here and know that you're out here and, and so on. And for you, those of you that are joining us online as well, appreciate you being there uh, too and recognize that that's uh, um, a very viable option for a lot of people at this point in time. And so I appreciate that as well and look forward to when you can be back with us here in the sanctuary altogether. We started a, a series last week called Know Your Foe. And preceding that, for a number of weeks, we were in a series on Hebrews where we were looking at specifically Jesus Christ and the fact that he is the full representation of God. And what's more than we were looking at the new covenant that God has ushered in for you and I through Christ. And so we, uh, as we were thinking about these series and as we were planning out what we were going to be talking about this year, way back last fall, we knew that we wanted to follow up with having taken a, an in-depth look at, at Christ and, and what God is doing through him. We wanted to follow that up by looking at Satan. And so, you know, we recognize, we understand that that's not a popular topic nowadays. As a matter of fact, I think that the church, probably far more than we should, has shied away from significant, difficult, unpopular topics like sin. Sin doesn't really get much billing anymore. We don't talk about the significance of sin. And we definitely don't talk about Satan. But we wanted to to do that. We wanted to address that issue, and so we decided that we would follow up our Hebrew series with this series called Know Your Foe. And so then we did what any real thinking people would do. We decided we would let the new guy introduce it. And Bruce brought this up last week. He pointed that out, but he thought that we were just trying to haze him. That wasn't it at all. We just wanted to see what was going to happen. So we let him introduce it on Mother's Day, And he survived, so we figured we'll continue on with the series now. So that's why I'm here today, this morning. We're going to carry on with this. And I'm going to actually try and build on what Bruce did. If you didn't catch his message, Bruce handled it really adroitly last week. He he passed with flying colors. And and like I said before, you know, we didn't just set him up for that. We weren't uh, actually anticipating that. We we thought of this even long before Bruce was the twinkle in our eye. So... uh, that was, uh, that was well planned in advance, and so uh, he, did, he did admirably. So if you didn't catch it, make sure you go back and check that out. But I'm going to try and build on what he laid for a foundation last week, this morning, as we look now more closely at how Satan's rebellion against God implicates us and in how it involves us. 
So before we get, begin, would you just bow with me in order of prayer, and we'll uh, ask God to help us as we uh, dive into this this morning. Father, this morning, again, we stop and we say thank you for this time. Thank you for each one that's able to be here in person. Thank you for each one that's joining us online now and in the future. Lord, I pray that you would uh, come alongside us now wherever we're at, at whatever time this is, and that you would speak to us, that you would open our minds to what is the reality of our world, the fact that there is a force operating against us, uh, that Satan is out there, and that he is seeking to take us out, literally. And so as we contemplate this, God, again, would you help us then to understand our reality, and would you help us also to recognize how we begin to address that fact. So to that end, I pray these things now. I ask for your participation alongside us by your Spirit, and I ask all of this for the sake of Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. All right. One of the things that I really appreciate about Christianity is the fact that it matches my experience. And so let me just explain that a little bit. I'll give you a couple of general examples as to what I mean when I talk about that. As I look at the physical world around me, as I look at creation, as I look at animals and plants and, and just the way that our system works and the science and everything behind it, I see evidence of a designer. And Scripture, our faith, speaks to that as it refers us to God as the creator, that there is a designer. And so I see that where that matches what I, what I experience in my reality and what Scripture talks about. I also see that when I look around me and I see all kinds of problems in our world. I see those problems in myself, and I see those problems playing out in other individuals, and I see them playing out in circumstances that we encounter in life. And then as I read my Bible, as I get into and study my faith, I recognize that it, it, it talks about that there's sin, that sin has infiltrated and broken our society, our world, our experience, our creation, and we have to now deal with the ramifications of that, the fallout, the brokenness of ourselves and of the world around us. So again, my faith matches my experience. I also have times regularly where I can't help but think that there is something working against me in life. As I'm going through life that I encounter things that just make you stop and think, what is going on? Why, why is everything always so difficult? What, what is out there that is so intent on making my life miserable? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever had that thought? Like, what's up with this? Why, why are things so stacked against me? And again, we find that Scripture speaks to this. 1 Peter 5, verse 8a says this, Be alert and of sober mind, Peter says to us. Your enemy, the devil. Peter comes right out and calls it for what it is. He says that we need to be sober and alert because we have an enemy called the devil. So this morning, it isn't just your imagination, it's just not just my imagination, but it's the facts, it's the reality that we have a force working against us in this world. There is something, someone working 
in opposition to you and I today for their own purposes. Scripture calls him the devil. It's not just a force. It's not just uh, uh, some sort of an idea, but it's actually a person. A spiritual being, the devil. Now, the world around us calls that crazy, don't they? If you want to find people squirmy, make them nervous, first of all, I would suggest talk about God. That, that usually gets their attention, and you can feel the sort of the anxiety level go up a little bit. We should do that anyway. But if you really want to make things uncomfortable and awkward, start talking about the, the fact that you think that there's actually a force out there, Satan working against us, that he's out there trying to, to, to overcome us, take us out, what have you. And people get really nervous about that. So we shy away from this topic. We don't delve into it. As a matter of fact, Charles Baudelaire, French fella, is credited with saying that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Now, I don't think it's actually his greatest trick, but it definitely ranks right up there. As so many of us are doing life unwittingly missing the fact the point that Satan is there as our enemy working against us every day, day by day by day by day. And so the fact is, we do have an adversary. We do have an enemy, Satan. And as he focuses then on usurping God and thwarting his plan like Bruce was talking about last week, he has now set his eyes on you and me as an avenue to accomplish that. We always say, well, what does that have to do with me? I, I don't have any bone to pick with anybody. I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm not trying to make waves. I'm just trying to do life. I'm just doing me. You do you, I'll do me, we'll be fine. But that's not true. We have an enemy who is not willing or ready to let you and I go. Now, some think that he's set his sights on us for a number of different reasons. Some would say that he's trying to continue in his attempt to overthrow God. Others would say that maybe he's trying to actually now preserve what he can for himself, that he wants to be God of the dead. And so he wants to take as many with him and fulfill himself as best as he can, now given his lot having been cast down by God. Others are just, would say that he's just trying to ex exert maximum damage on God, knowing he's failed. I would tend to put myself in that last category. I think Satan's read the Bible. I think for a while it wasn't, he, he wasn't aware because he doesn't know everything. But as he's come to that point, he's, he's read Hebrews. He knows what the deal is and he knows the deal's up. The jig is up. 
And so now he's just trying to take up everyone he can to, to, to exert maximum damage on God and his plan. So in that, then you and I have become his targets. We are his enemy. We are the way that he makes that happen. So then the question is begged, then how does he accomplish that objective? Well, he has two basic, straightforward objectives then to accomplish that. First of all, it's to keep unbelievers in their unbelief. To keep those that don't know Christ and that don't recognize who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, to keep them in their unbelief, to keep them ignorantly going through life, blind to God and what he's trying to do. We see that as Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. There Paul says, the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Satan's number one objective is to blind the minds of those that don't know so that they will not know God. His second objective then is to eliminate our effectiveness as Christians. For those of us that have come to that knowledge of Christ, that are now following Christ and living our lives for Christ, for God, then Satan sets out to undermine and erode, to diminish, to eliminate our effectiveness on God's behalf. And again, we see that in Scripture. I'm not just dreaming this up. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul goes on to say, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds, he's talking to the Corinthians, he's talking to you and I today as well, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That as Satan, just as he deceived Eve, that he is now setting out to deceive you and I so that we are led away from our pure devotion to Christ. And then in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul goes on further as he speaks to Timothy there. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So Satan sets out to blind the minds of those that don't know Christ yet. But we're not off the hook as those, follow, those, that, as those that follow God. Because he's out to diminish us now. He's out to undermine us as well. Now, his predominant strategy then to accomplish these ends is surprisingly simple. Now, he, he employs a number of different tactics. There's no doubt about it. But there's one area that is like his go-to, if you will. And that is lies and deceit. It's surprisingly simple. Lies and deceit. And we're going to look at that a little bit closer this morning. In Revelation 12, verse 9, it says there, 
And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. His strategy is to deceive the whole world one way or another. So he's become known as the deceiver. And then, in John 8, verses 42 to 44, Jesus says to the disciples um, this. We read this. No, sorry, he's talking to the Jews here, not the disciples. He's talking to uh, some Jews. He's in an interaction with, with a number of Jewish people. He says to them this. They're debating about their lineage. Uh, you, go, you should go back and read this whole section. We don't have time for that this morning. Um, but it's fascinating because they're, they're trying to say that they're of God. We're of God. We're from Abraham. We're of God. And Jesus says this. No. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a deceiver and a liar. That's who he is. And that's his primary strategy. We can see that in different places throughout Scripture. But we're going to look this morning at one of the most notorious. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. Grab them, flip them open to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And we're going to just work our way slowly through this passage. Familiar passage. But we need to be reminded of what actually happens here. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, starting verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than, the, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, so the serpent here is Satan. And he comes to Eve, and he says to her, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan begins here really neatly and innocuously by asking a question. And as he does so, he calls into question the character of God. He questions God's goodness and his holiness. Did God really say? And right there, there's the seed of doubt. Immediately, you begin to wonder, well, why, why wouldn't he have said that? Did God really say? And then, on top of that, then he exaggerates the prohibition from God to Eve, to Adam and Eve. 
God didn't say that they shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden. He had just stipulated one. But in opening it up and exaggerating God's prohibition, then it makes him even more suspect. And Eve falls into the plan. The insinuation here is that God has ulterior motives for telling Eve, Adam and Eve not to eat of this tree. And, and Eve starts to lean into this. What, what do you mean? What's going on? The woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat fruit from the trees of, in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And at this point, Satan now issues a wholesale contradiction, repudiation of God's assertion to Eve, to Adam and Eve, that they would die. It's a categorical, complete, utter denial of what God has said. And at that point, then, we see that the trap is set. Satan has started by begging the question, placing a doubt in Eve's mind as to what God was really doing here. Why, why would he hold out on you, not allow you to eat of this tree? And then he begs for a decision from Eve, and the trap is set. She has to make a call. She has to make a choice. He's planted the seed of doubt. And now he calls for the choice, for the decision. Who is telling the truth? Is God telling the truth? You'll, 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 you'll die? Or is Satan telling the truth? Now, you're not certainly going to die. can't be both. It has to be one or the other. And then to tip the balance just a little bit further, not quite ready to just leave Eve to make her decision, now Satan lies to her as he goes on. He concocts a story as to why God is holding out on her. Namely, it's the chance that she has to advance herself right to God's level. Verse 5, you won't certainly die, Satan says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that, that was the very sin that Satan had committed. He wanted to be 
as God, like Bruce was talking about last week. And he reached out to try and attain that. He wasn't content with his position. He wanted to be God. And so he serves the same choice up for Eve. And just as he had reached out and now was in rebellion against God, he succeeds in pulling Adam and Eve into that same rebellion. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now note here, note here, that fast, there was no doubt anymore in Eve's mind as to who was telling the truth. Satan had served up the lie. He had placed the doubt in her mind that God was holding out, that he wasn't playing straight. That he was dreaming up this whole idea about the fact that she would die if she was to eat of this tree because he didn't want her to achieve the same status as him. Satan had done it so neatly, so masterfully. He calls for the question, and she bit, literally. And as soon as she did, she knew that God's character was no longer in question. And you and I know today that no longer is Satan's either. His character is no longer in question. He's a liar and a deceiver, and he's out for you and me every bit as much as he was out for Adam and Eve in the beginning. And what's more, he's been playing out this little ploy ever since. Why why mess with something that works? He comes along. He plants some sort of a seed of doubt in our mind as to God's goodness and his holiness 
He lures us in, painting a false picture of God's goodness. And then, he insidiously panders to your ego and mine. Our desire for more. Our desire to be more. And he paints for us some sort of alluring picture, idea, notion. Some sort of an enticement that would lead us to believe that there's more for us to have. There's more to be had. There's more out there than what God promises me here. So simple, but so effective. And especially now, since we are all marred by sin, even more susceptible to that carnal nature that leads us to want to be God as well. Now, it's important for us to be aware of Satan's tactics, but I also want to quickly talk about how we avoid succumbing to Satan's lies, to his deceit. Dwight Pentecost says this in his book, Satan, Your Adversary. That which characterizes sinful man is selfishness and self-centeredness. Man is characterized by pride. He lives his life in independence of God, and he is only perpetuating the nature of his father, the devil. Unless you come to understand something of the basic selfishness, pride, and independence that characterized Satan when he left his original state, you will neither understand yourself nor will you understand the temptations that come day by day. I think Pentecost is right on the money. What a great name, by the way. Hey, Pentecost. Oh, it's all right. But I think he hits the nail right on the head. Unless we recognize where Satan was at when he deviated away from what he was created and intended to be, we won't understand him, nor will we understand ourselves and our susceptibility to the same thing. So the first thing that we need to do in overcoming Satan and his attempts is to know our foe. We need to know what he's all about and how he does it. And it's all characterized under the same category, if you will, as how he succumbed himself. So we need to know him and we need to know our tactics. I would encourage you, if you haven't already, go back and look at the five I will statements of Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14 that Bruce talked about last week. Go back and study those. Recognize what Satan was reaching for that led him to sin against God. And as we recognize those things, then we'll be able to recognize ourselves and his tactics to accomplish that same decision in us. But secondly, 
there's one other thing. There's lots of different ways. We can put on the whole armor of God, and we've been through that series before. I'd direct you back to that in the, in the archives if you'd like to go back and look at that. But one of the things I want to point out this morning, specifically, is that secondly this morning, we have to get into God's Word. Now, note Eve's response in verses 2 and 3. There she says, The woman said to the serpent, he may, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Really simply here, Eve's response to Satan's questions begs some questions. At that point, she has either already started to succumb to Satan's tactics or we can say that she wasn't very diligent about listening and paying attention to God in his word. Maybe she held it in low regard, low esteem. Because one way or the other, she was less than accurate about what God had said. Now I think that we have maybe adopted the same low attitude to God's word that Eve has in our society today, in our church culture today. We have Bibles that we leave on our shelves in our homes day after day after day after day. Maybe we pull them out every once in a while to bring them to church. We talk about how much we are, uh, how much the scripture is important to us, but we don't read it, frankly. We don't. We talk a good game, but we play a really bad one. And as a result of that, we are left like a dude in a gunfight with a knife, with some sort of a vague recollection of what we've heard maybe somewhere in the past from Sunday school or from a Bible story when we were kids or what have you, but we don't really know God's word. We're not really familiar with what he said. Not so that we could actually refute Satan like Christ did when he was tempted by Satan one-on-one. He, Jesus, referred back to God's word. He corrected Satan. He knew what God had said. He held that as paramount. And he stood on it. You and I, we don't read God's word. We don't don't interact with God. So we don't know God. He's not real to us. So then when Satan comes along, because we haven't studied God's word, we haven't been able to see how my life matches what Scripture says and how Scripture informs my life and speaks into the things that I don't even understand about life as I encounter them, as I'm living. Because we don't do that, then Satan comes along and he's able to tell us a bunch of crap. And we swallow it because we don't know God. We don't know his goodness. We don't recognize his holiness. We don't understand his character. We don't believe his character. We call ourselves Christians. 
And if we are, then we best get into his word because he's telling us that we have an adversary, the devil, and that the devil is out to pull us away from our faith in Christ such that in the end time, some of us might even divert from it and abandon the faith. Listen listen to Jesus' prayer. Listen to Jesus' prayers. He prays for us in John 17, verses 15 to 17. We're going to talk about this later on this summer in our Prayers of Biblical Proportion series. There it says this, just two short verses. Jesus is saying this. My prayer is praying to the Father. My prayer is not that you take them, that's us, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Therefore, he prays to God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This morning, we need to understand, church family friends, that God's word moves us towards holiness. It protects us from the evil one so that we don't succumb, so that we're not overcome by him today. But we're so used to ignoring it. And worse, when something comes along and we make a mistake and we mess up and it's, it's, a, it's a mess, it's, it's ugly, what do we do? What do we say? Where, where, where was God? Where, where was God when, when I was in this trouble? When I, how come he wasn't here? I, you know, I picture myself having that, because I've been there. Listen, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me as much as anybody. But I picture myself one day having that conversation with God. Hey, where were you when I had that big problem? When I made that big mistake, how come you didn't help me? Avoid the big mistake. He's going to look at me and he's going to say, dude, did you ever read Hebrews? He's given us a whole pile of help. He's spoken into our world. He's given us what we need to overcome. He promises to be with us. Maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, well, Doug, I'd read my Bible, but I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. Let me refer you back to something that Pentecost also says in his book. He says, when a man begins to approach the word of God with his own natural mind, he has opened the doorway to repudiation of the whole of divine revelation. For he substitutes human reasoning for divine revelation. Let me read that for you again. When a man begins to approach the word of God with his own natural mind, he has opened the door to the repudiation of the whole of divine revelation. For he substitutes human reasoning for divine revelation. One of my favorite classes in my master's program has been the theology of of revelation. The idea that God is actually revealing himself to us. That we are incapable of understanding or knowing God on our own. Which he lays out for us in scripture. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are foolishness to man. 
But God in his goodness has revealed himself to us. So as we come to our scripture, your, your, your objective and my objective is not to get here, in here and figure it out for ourselves. No, it, rather, it's for us to come to God's word and say, Lord, teach me who you are. Teach me truth. We're students in this. We're not the masters. It's not for us to figure out on our own. It's for us to have God reveal it to. Does that make sense? We're the ones that God will reveal it to as we engage with him on that level. So as we come to his word, get into it and ask him to teach us truth. This morning, Satan is a liar and a deceiver. He is out to take you and I out of the game. He's going to do it by planting seeds of doubt in our minds and trying to entice us to something that is a lie, an illusion. It's not true. It's false. But we can overcome as we know him, as we know his tactics, and as we immerse ourselves and commit ourselves to knowing God's word. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I'm so thankful that again, that you don't just leave us hanging this morning in the reality of our plight. Recognizing that we have an adversary, recognizing that he is adept, and matchless in his ability to deceive and to lie and to lure us away from you. Thank you that you've given us the means by which that we can overcome. First of all, in recognizing our adversary, being aware of how that plays out even in our own lives and where we're susceptible Therefore, that much better off in being able to recognize his attempts and his tactics. But God, also, that you've given us your word. And that as we engage with you in your word, that you will come as we allow you to, to, to inform us and to teach us and to grow us in the truth, in you. And that you protect us then from the evil one's attacks by your word. So this morning, I would pray, Lord, that you would work in us by your spirit now to engage us in, in us and to, in, in, to nurture in us a desire for your word. That we would approach it in a new way today. That we would approach it with more diligence given the stakes that are in place so that you would be able to change us, that you would be able to protect us, grow us, make us more like Christ, more effective for your kingdom's sake, that we would know you better, that we would trust you more, that we would live for you more completely. And I pray these things all now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.